the lyrics of Christmas. We talked about Mary last week and, and uh, her song that teaches us so, so much about what it means to have Christ here, what Christmas is all about. And we're continuing in that series today. We'll be looking at Zechariah and his song, which was also not actually sung. It's a psalm of praise, a prayer uh, that is said and that teaches us so, so much. You know, around Christmas time, we're all reminded of the, uh, the pain of waiting, aren't we? The pain of waiting. We all, whether you're a child or an adult, we all have those things or maybe that special thing that you're hoping to find or hoping to get and you're just waiting and wondering if it's going to happen or not. Uh, Last year, my oldest daughter, Aubrey, uh, wanted an American Girl doll. You guys know what an American Girl doll is? Uh, I hear the groans. So yes, you do know because you know what, what is associated with that American Girl doll, which is the price tag. Yes, and so she wanted one for a long time, and, and so did her little sister, Addie, and they, they both did. And so they asked and asked and asked, and um, I told Aubrey every time she asked, okay, Aubrey, I hear you, but don't get your hopes up. I said that over and over because she asked over and over and over. And so uh, one day I heard her and Addison talking, and they were saying, do you think we'll get an American Girl doll? And Aubrey said, don't count on it, Addie. Every time I ask Daddy, he tells me, don't get your hopes up. So we better not, because we're just going to get disappointed, because you know we're not going to get it anyway. So they had become convinced that they weren't getting it. Um, Every time we would talk about anything related to presents or gifts, Aubrey would say, well, I know I'm not getting an American Girl doll, so I guess I better settle for something else. Well, Christmas morning comes around, they're opening gifts left and right, and uh, it looks like, you know, all the gifts are done, all the gifts are over, and I pulled uh, a Christmas story. You know what I'm talking about? When all the presents are opened, and Ralphie thinks he has nothing else, and the dad says, well, wait a second, what's that over there? Remember, and he goes, and he, he opens up the present, and there's his Red Ryder BB gun, right? And he goes crazy. Well, that's, we pulled that. And so there was not one, but two American Girl dolls for our girls. And I thought that maybe the police were going to get called for all the shouting and yelling. I mean, they were running through the house. They were screaming. They were throwing a party because all their hopes, they thought, were not going to be realized, Everything they had been waiting for, just not going to be delivered. But there it was. There is the present they wanted more than anything. And that is just a very small example, very silly example, really, of how on a much larger scale it felt for the entire nation of Israel leading up to the incarnation, the appearance of Christ. And sadly, for many even after he came who did not accept him or believe in him even to this day, The Jewish nation, in large part, still waits for the Messiah that already came. But for 400 years, 400 years, the priests had gone into the Holy of Holies and they waved their incense and they offered sacrifice and they prayed the prayers for the redemption of Israel, for the coming of the Messiah. But year after year, 
decade after decade, century after century, there was a deafening silence from God. No prophetic voice. All that had been read about and recited had not happened. 400 years of waiting and wondering and saying, God, do you care at all? Do you still love us? Do you have a plan at all? Are you going to visit us? Are you going to redeem us? When? When are all the prophecies going to finally be fulfilled? Will they be fulfilled? And many hearts and many minds said in some way what my daughters heard me say, don't get your hopes up. I mean, imagine that. All of your identity, your entire society revolves around the prophetic word of God. The promises that he gave, not just to your family, but generations before you, all of your ancestors. And you formed an entire culture around that. And every fiber of your being is desperately hoping against hope for the day when the promised Messiah will finally come. Set you free from all the oppression you're experiencing. But day after day, it doesn't happen. And so you begin to think, well, no reason to get our hopes up. It's probably never going to happen anyway. So in addition to the nation feeling that and experiencing that, you see this older couple, the husband is a priest himself, one of 18,000 at the time, And they're old in their years. He's nearing the end of his priestly ministry. They've never had children. They wanted children, of course. And in that culture, it's more than a desire. It's actually something that is equated with God's favor on your life, with God's blessing on you. And so to be a priest and not have children, some people must have said, what's wrong with this guy? What's missing in his life or his devotion to the Lord that God has withheld children from even one of his own priests? And so they went year after year. I wish we had children. I hope, I hope one day we'll have children. But slowly and surely they would have said the same thing. Don't get your hopes up. And it looked like all hope was truly gone. And then one ordinary day, this old priest, Zechariah, nearing the end of his career, goes in and does his priestly duty, which is a privilege and an honor because he gets, by lot, he gets chosen to go in and and offer the sacrifices and go into the Holy of Holies and burn the incense on behalf of all the nation of Israel. And so he goes in. But as he comes out, it becomes obvious that this is not an ordinary time. And as he's, he's mouthing words and moving his hands around, trying to explain what's happened, but no sound coming out, and he's, he's in shock and he's ecstatic, he doesn't know what to do, he's looking around, his eyes are wide, the people would have realized there has been a divine interaction in the Holy of Holies. God has met this priest. God showed up. Finally, fully. What what does this mean, though? What's the implication? 400 years of, of no prophetic voice at all. Silence from heaven. Now, this priest, though, clearly has seen something, a vision, or encountered some form of God. What does all this mean? And 
over the nine months of his wife Elizabeth's pregnancy, 80 years old, 80 years old. So this is an amazing pregnancy indeed. I mean, by normal standards, that being able to happen is long gone, right? The change of life, you know, that that all you women have to look forward to and just love going through when you're going through it. I mean, that's like way in the rearview mirror. You know, it's not like it just happened. She's 80 years old. There's a lot of similarities here between Abraham and Sarah and Zechariah and Elizabeth. Nonetheless, she's pregnant, 80 years old. After thinking it was never going to happen, dismissing it as any possibility, here she is, pregnant. And all the people around them would have seen this and known this and and couldn't help but give glory to God for a miracle taking place. So over the nine months of his 80-year-old wife and her pregnancy, which was for him nine months of silence, as all the unmistakable changes took place in Elizabeth, physically, outwardly, it's obvious that things were changing with Zechariah too. Internally, spiritually. Emotionally, Because by the time of John's birth, by the time that happened, we see a heart that was affected by doubt and even cynicism when Gabriel told him, your wife will bear a son and he will go before the promised Messiah. He will be the messenger of the Lord. When, when Gabriel told him that, Zechariah was like, yeah, right. Come on. Come on. I wasn't born yesterday. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 80s here. This isn't going to happen. Nice try. And Gabriel said, oh, really? Okay. Since you don't believe my word, me, Gabriel, who stands before the Most High God, here's what's going to happen. Because of your unbelief, you're going to be struck mute until the baby is born. And we'll see how it goes for you then. So because of his heart of cynicism and doubt, he was struck mute. That's why he came out and he couldn't speak. He was, you know, trying to express what happened, but he couldn't. But then by the time John is born and they're asking about what to name this little baby boy and Elizabeth says, we need to call him John. And they try to dissuade her and say, there's no family member named John because that's what you did. You named children after people in your family. You combined names and you kept the line going even through the name. And she said, no, we need to name him John. And they pressed her and they pressed her. And then Zechariah opens his mouth and now sound comes out because he says what he was supposed to have already accepted and believed the first time. His name is John. And everybody's amazed because he speaks. So we see this this heart of, of doubt and cynicism at the beginning. We see it change now into a heart full of faith and a confident, praise filled hope. Where is your heart this morning? That's my question for you. Have you come in here today with all kinds of baggage and burdens and discouragements and depression and wondering when things are going to change for you? I'm sure some of you have. Maybe you've found it hard day after day to keep believing in the goodness of God or in His provision that's going to come or His plans to get you through whatever you're going through. This time of year, it's a great and beautiful time of year, 
But it can be a very hard time of year for a lot of people. This time of year can be yet another reminder of how the year has gone up to this point and how disappointing everything has been. And maybe you have a heart not full of hope and of praise, but of doubt and of cynicism. Well, so did Zechariah, but God changed his heart. And I know, I absolutely know for sure that God can and wants to change your heart as well, if you'll let him. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for our time together. I pray that your spirit would do in every heart what you did in the heart of Zechariah. That as we are reminded of your faithfulness, of your promises, of your word, of what you and you alone can and will do. As we hear these things that our heart will change even as we hear your word. That your spirit would take this beautiful song that Zechariah pronounces and proclaims. And he would apply it to our hearts right where we're at. And that wherever change is needed, that you'd bring it about. For your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the Christmas season, part of the the waiting to open the presents, what that should do in our minds and our hearts, is it should remind us of all the people around the coming of the Messiah, around that first advent, who did wait, who desperately hoped and longed for the appearing of the Messiah. I mean, 400 years we see here on display. So as you're waiting for that gift, and as your children are waiting, and and they're miserable in the waiting, what a great time, parents, to take that opportunity and say, hey, let's put ourselves in the mindset of all those people around the time of Jesus' coming who waited and wondered, will the Messiah ever come? Who desperately hoped for it. Let's put ourselves in their perspective and think about how that must have been. And let's use that even as a springboard for looking ahead at the coming of Christ, the second advent. That's what we're commanded to do. We're told to eagerly wait for it and to pray for it and to hope for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. So let's take this opportunity this season to do that. And in all of that, we need to remember what Zechariah and those with him were able to remember, what God taught them, what he showed them, which is this, that God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. But that doesn't mean it's always easy to see it that way. And that doesn't mean it's always easy to feel that way. It doesn't always feel perfect. Many times as we're waiting on God to to do whatever it is that we have been praying for him to or hoping that he will or needing him to do. I mean, let's just be honest with one another. It hurts. It's intense. Waiting is not fun. No one likes to wait. Nobody does. Waiting is, is among the worst experiences in life. I mean, how many... How many times have we almost given up on our doctor's appointment? We've just, you know, gotten up and left. We, we thought about it, or maybe you've done it because the waiting is just too long. You think, I don't have time for this. I'll come back another time, maybe. Or you've gotten out of whatever line you're in, no matter what it was for, because you just don't have time. You can't handle waiting anymore. Waiting can be excruciating, especially when it's waiting for something that matters a great deal. 
Maybe some of you have family members who have not yet come to Christ and you have been praying for their salvation for years. We have people on our prayer guide here on Wednesday nights under the salvation need that have been on there for decades in some cases. That's hard. I mean, that's, that's just plain discouraging, right? To keep praying and praying for such a good and needed thing as someone coming to salvation, that's a great thing. God honors those prayers. We know he does. Pat Coley, Pat Coley's right here. Hey, Pat, stand up for us just really quick. Okay, everybody see Pat? Pat waved to everybody. Okay, you can have a seat, Pat. Thank you. Pat Coley is a living example of someone who was prayed for by, I would say, hundreds of people. Is that fair, Pat? Maybe even into the thousands? You know, he had an entire college praying for his salvation. He had all of this church praying for his salvation, all of his mother's friends, all of his family's brother. Uh, Pat was about as far away from God as you could get and just didn't want anything to do with God, with church, hated hearing the gospel, cold, hostile to it. But after years and years of praying, God eventually honored that prayer and saved Pat Coley for his glory and to the encouragement of all who prayed. And you know, there were probably many times people wondered, they didn't say it out loud, I'm sure, but they wondered, is there really any point? And continuing to pray for Pat, I mean, no change year after year. God said, yeah, there's a point. Keep praying. My timing's perfect. One of my best friends, Raj Michelini, fellow graduate here of Greater Beckley, his dad was not a Christian by any means, hostile to the gospel, part of the Hindu faith. And... We prayed for Bose for about six years as an entire class. He had uh, Raj's whole church family, Calvary Assembly, was praying for him too. And same thing. We thought, wow, this is just never going to happen. There was no change, not even in the slightest. We're not even talking about conviction. Not any tenderness whatsoever. And then after Christmas break, when we came back to school, Raj came in. And he looked a little emotional. And I was like, hey, what's, what's wrong, Raj? This is six years after we started praying. We're in middle school now. I said, Raj, what's wrong? What happened? And he couldn't speak. He was like trying to get the words. And you know that lump in your throat? And he finally got the words out. My dad got saved. My dad came to Christ. And if you know Bose Michelini, Dr. Michelini, the man is on fire for the Lord. <laughs> God's timing is perfect. Don't ever forget that it is. That covers salvation. That covers the healing of a terrible disease, whether that means physical healing here and now, which we all want to see, or whether it means permanent, eternal healing by calling that person home. God's timing is perfect. Even if it doesn't always seem that way or feel that way, we can rest assured, we can trust with absolute certainty that his timing is as perfect as he is. We need to remember that and we need to believe that. God showed Zechariah that. He showed Elizabeth that. He showed others that. And he wants to show you that today. 
We also see through Zechariah, through his life, what he teaches us by example is that God teaches us in the silence. God teaches us in the silence and he works in us through our waiting. God teaches us in the silence and he works in us through our waiting. It's not always easy. It's not pleasant. It's hard. But it is worth it because every time that I have been forced to wait on God, I have come out of that stronger. I have come out of that depending on him more. I have come out of that loving him more. I have come out of that seeking his face more. Have you? Have you had that experience? The times when we're forced to wait on him and just to put all of our being at the mercy of his providence and his good sovereignty, we are always better for it. We always learn things that we would not learn otherwise. See, because God is a good, good father. He is a perfect father. And sometimes he knows the best gift for us is to say, not yet. I have work to do in you while you wait. I need to teach you some things through the silence. It's not because I'm not here. It's not because I'm not present. I have not forgotten about you. I have not turned my ear away from you. It's just that through this silence, I'm actually ministering to you. Through this silence, I'm perfecting your faith. That's what we need to hear from God today. That's what Zechariah heard from God, even in the silence. And that's what he learned, and that's what he shows us. Like Mary's song, um, Zechariah's song is also very theologically deep. It's full of scripture and it's also full of unleashed joy. It's full of unleashed joy in his proclamation. And that should be our response as well, church. That should be our response to the message of Christmas. Unleashed, unbridled joy. That's what should be on our lips, coming out of our heart and our mind. Because we have so much to rejoice in. Because our Savior has come. We don't have to wonder. We can know. We can know Him. We can know Him here and now in our experiences, in our waiting, in our struggles. We have Him with us. And we know that He will return just like He said He would. So remember, the prophetic voice of the Lord had been silent for 400 years But now, now, God spoke through Gabriel, he spoke through Elizabeth, he spoke through Mary, and now he speaks through Zechariah. And in all of this, when God spoke again after 400 years to his people, it was all connected to the theme of Jesus and his work. All that he said, all that he proclaimed through these people, his voice coming through the heavens, it was tied directly to Jesus and his work. And that's always how it's going to be. God will always connect his voice and his message and his word to the person of his son, the eternal living word. He will always point everything back to the work of his son. And we need to do the same. We need to do the same thing. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says this, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace is what we all long for. It's what we all need. It's made possible through Jesus and by the blood of his cross.
That's why all that God wants us to hear and all that he wants us to know and all that he shines his brilliant holy light on, it always comes back to Christ and his work for us. That's what Zechariah proclaimed. That's what God would want us to hear through Zechariah's song today. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verses 67 all the way to the end of the passage. Verse 79 is where we'll be today. Verse 67 says this. This is after John has come. John's time of birth has happened. He's here. They're wondering about his name. Zechariah says, no, I want his name to be John. His name needs to be John. I was told to name him John. That's what we're naming him. John. Verse 67 says this. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... And what is said, this proclamation, this song, man, it had to have been from the Holy Spirit. It had to be Spirit-led, Spirit-directed, Spirit-filled, because the first focus of his announcement here, everything we're going to look at, the first focus is on the unborn Jesus, not his new son. And that's not normal, right? I mean, we have a brand new baby. We're going to be talking about our baby. We're not going to be talking about someone else's baby. I mean, goodness. When my kids were born, I, I wasn't like, okay, that's nice. Oh, would you look at that baby over there? Oh, look how cute. You know, I didn't go to someone else's room and say, oh, you know, I didn't grab someone else's kid and pull a Lion King and raise up the kid and, you know, have songs start coming out everywhere. You know, I didn't do that. I was all about my child, especially when Aiden came. You know, because, I mean, that was like, that was my boy, right? I'm I'm kidding. Come on. I love all my kids the same, all right? I really do. Ah, lighten up. (laughs) It's all right. My point is, my point is, when you have a child, man, that's, that's your world right there. And all you can think about is them, and all you can talk about is them, and you you want everybody to see him or her, and you want to, you say, hey, look, come look at my new child, Isn't he or she beautiful? Isn't this amazing? John's dad, poor John, not really, it's what he wanted, because later in his life he said, he must increase, I must decrease. He wouldn't have minded at all. Here's Zechariah, the whole first part of his focus on this announcement is on the unborn Jesus, not his new son, John. And church, listen to me, that's how you can always test the spirits, as we're told to do. Because the Spirit of God will always put all the focus on Jesus Christ. And He will always direct us to do the same. So that's how you can determine whether or not something is from the Holy Spirit or not. Is the focus being put on Jesus? If it's of the Spirit of God, it always will be. And He'll always direct us to do the same. So we see that happening. So we know this is definitely, truly of the Spirit of God. And then he says this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? Why is the Lord God of Israel blessed? Why is Zechariah proclaiming all this praise and honor and glory to him? He tells us, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Finally, he's done it. He's here. It's happened. He has shown up. He's visited us and redeemed us Unlike ever before, there had been 
deliverers in Israel's past. You look at the judges, the time of the judges, and there was this cycle of sin and then rescue, sin and rescue. A deliverer, a savior was raised up and they delivered Israel mightily, but it was not permanent. It was not perfect. It was not eternal deliverance. Now, unlike ever before, God has visited. God has redeemed. God has tabernacled among his people. We're talking about Emmanuel here. This is Jesus being described. Jesus is the visitation of God. Jesus is the redemption of God. This is Emmanuel. Jesus was and always will be Emmanuel. He's always God with us. Rest in that. Hope in that. Rejoice in that. And he goes on about this redemption, this great visitation of God. Lord God of Israel has visited and redeemed his people, verse 69, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That phrase, horn of salvation, we're not really familiar with that in our culture, in our context. It's not talking about a musical instrument horn. It's not the kind that you know Don plays for us every week. Uh, it's, it's like a, an, a wild animal's horn, the strong horn of a beast, like a, a wild ox. Actually, Scripture talks about that, and Zechariah was referring to that, no doubt. Uh, this great, powerful animal with this majestic horn of strength. For us in, in our area, think of, uh, you hunters out there, think of a 30-point a buck, right? Can you imagine what that'd be like? <laughs> you know, it'd be like, what? You know, I mean, everybody would be trying to hunt this thing. It's like this, this great display of strength and these, these massive horns, the horn of salvation. That's what Jesus is. There's no stronger savior than, than what he is. And there's no salvation like what he provides. In the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. We need to remember that Jesus provides for all of us who come to him. He provides complete and eternal victory. Complete and eternal victory. No one can do what he does. No one can promise what he promises. There's no stronger savior than Jesus. What did Jesus do for you? What did he do for me? He purchased and provides rescue and victory over Satan, over the greatest enemy we could ever face. He provides rescue and victory over our sin, the sin that plagues us. He provided rescue and victory, deliverance from hell, which we all rightly deserve. There is no stronger Savior than Jesus. Truly, he is a horn of salvation, not just for Israel, but for all of us as well. Verse 70 says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. You see, in Jesus we find the only one who ever truly poured out the mercy that we needed. Jesus is the one to pour out promised mercy that had been promised for generation after generation after generation. We don't need to look any further than Jesus to find the mercy that you and I need, not just daily, but moment by moment by moment, because that's how sinful we are. 
And in Jesus, we find it. Jesus is the one to pour out promised mercy. How did he do it? By pouring out his blood. He poured out his blood for us and in that poured out mercy. And Jesus is also the one that always remembers and fulfills every covenant. He is the promise keeper, church. Though we are horribly unfaithful, he remains faithful. He fulfills every word, every promise. Just like Zechariah pronounced and proclaimed here in verses 72 and 73, we can proclaim the same thing. We can say, yes, in Jesus, in our Savior, we find the one that will always keep his word and will always be faithful, no matter how unfaithful we tragically are. Verse 74 says this, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. That we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, Jesus frees us from sin in order that we might live for him not out of a place of, of, of cold legalism or, or this empty duty, this ritual. He didn't free us from sin so that that's what we would do. He freed us from sin so that we could live for him out of love for him in response to all that he did for us. And these verses are echoed in 2 Corinthians 5.15 where Paul says this, He, speaking of Jesus, he died for everyone so that, don't miss, don't miss that, so that the purpose of him dying for everyone, so that those who receive his new life, the new life that Christ provides, that only he can provide, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. See, that's our response. We being delivered from the hand of our enemies, you and me today, just like Zechariah, just like the nation of Israel, we have been delivered from our enemies. The great enemy, sin, Satan, and the death that's a result of our sin. We've been delivered We've been delivered, and we've been delivered from that, and we, we have been given new life all so that we would take that life that we've been given and give it back to him, live for him, not out of a sense of, of duty or to earn favor and love, but because we've already been given favor and we've already been given amazing love that we could never deserve, that's why we serve him. That's why we live for him. And then verse 76 Zechariah does turn his attention to his new son. He looks to him finally. And he says this, And you, child. And I just see him holding him up. I mean, I can't help but visualize Lion King. I'm sorry. You know, when little Simba's being held up, I don't know, I just see it in my mind. I'm, I'm a little weird, but I just see him lifting up John and saying, And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord. See, there's no mistaking who Jesus is. There's no wondering who this Messiah really is. Zechariah knew, he understood. This is God. You will go before the Lord to prepare 
his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. See, we, we aren't going to be able to be a prophet like John was in that sense. We're not going to be able to, to fulfill that role like he did. But don't forget, Christian, that we are still called to represent Jesus in all we do. And we are still called to continually speak about him and the salvation that he alone provides. That's what we're called to do. So yeah, we're not going to be like John the Baptist. We're not going to be like Elijah or Isaiah in that sense. But we still have the responsibility. We still have the command to go and represent and speak on behalf of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 again tells us that. Paul there says in verses 18 through 20, speaking of the great salvation that we've been given, speaking of the great reconciliation that has taken place, he says this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, that's you and me, if you're in Christ, if you've received his salvation, Paul is now describing you. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, and this is the good news of the gospel, not counting their trespasses against them. That's, that's you and me, all of our trespasses, which should rightly be placed on our account, weren't. They weren't counted against us because of Christ. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Wow. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we're entrusted with, brothers and sisters. Once we receive that salvation, we're entrusted to go out and be instruments of it, to proclaim it to other people. So don't stop representing Jesus. Don't stop proclaiming Jesus and the salvation that you have received that he alone provides. To give knowledge of salvation to his people, Zechariah said John's purpose was in the forgiveness of their sins. And the forgiveness of sin that Jesus came to give, it's about more than just the remission of sin. It's about more than just taking away sin. It's also about restoring the relationship that sin had broken. That's what we needed. We, we, we needed so much more than just having our sins forgiven. Sure, that's, that's the first part of that. But we needed the, re, the relationship repaired and restored. And that's what Jesus came and did. That's what he offered and that's what he offers to all of us today. How's your relationship with God? Do you know him as father? Or do you still know him as someone to fear knowing that at any moment... His judgment on you will fall. How do you see him? How do you view him? As a God full of wrath or as a God full of love 
and grace and mercy and unbelievable compassion. Well, the only way to see him that way is through Jesus Christ and receiving what he alone made possible through his death and through his resurrection. How do you know God? That's the question that I ask you. That's the question that you need to ask everyone else. Okay, so you believe in God. A lot of people do. How do you, how do you relate to him, though? How do you know him? What is he to you? It's a question to ask. Then verses 78 and 79. He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is a direct, complete fulfillment of the prophecy found in Isaiah 9-2 and also in Psalm 107, verse 10. Zechariah is connecting the dots. He's saying, this child that will be born that you, my new son, will go before and, and proclaim the works of and point people to. He's the answer. He's the remedy. He's the one we've been looking for and waiting for and wondering if he would ever come. He's the one we've been hoping for. And now we can hope in him. He's the fulfillment of it all. And church, I just want to encourage you to remember and to believe that no matter how dark our world is or how dark it might get still, that the light of Jesus will always shine through it. Always. The light of Jesus will always shine through the darkness of this world, the darkness of our lives, and he will always provide real life and lasting peace for all who step in to him, the sunrise from on high. That's exactly what John 1.5 tells us in, in his prologue of his great gospel. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. That's the reality of Christmas. When you look at your Christmas lights, all lit up and beautiful, contrasted so brilliantly against the darkness of the night, so it always makes Christmas lights so much more beautiful, right? The darker the night is, the more they are brilliantly on display. I want you to, to connect your mind to the reality of Jesus, that him being the light of the world, his light will never be overcome, no matter how bad the darkness might get. It will always penetrate it. It will always shine through it, and it will always bring people into that light. That's the hope we have. That's the reality we have. Quite a statement, quite a song. Zechariah hadn't even seen Jesus yet. He hadn't seen Jesus yet. <laughs> he hadn't been able to look on him and, and know him intimately. He hadn't talked to him, but yet he praised him. He loved him. And he was passionate about his work, the work of the Messiah. The same should be true for us. The same should be true for us. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, do you? Do you believe in him? I hope that's true. I hope that's true of every single person here. That though you have not seen him, you believe in him. 
You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, Peter says, and and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The reality, church, is that we know so much more about Jesus than even Zechariah did. We really do. I don't know if you think about it that way, but, but that's true. We know more about Jesus than even Zechariah did because of all of the word that we have about him, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we have, receiving Christ, knowing him personally, intimately. So what can excuse the coldness of our hearts that we so often have? What can excuse the coldness of our hearts? What can excuse the lack of our passionate proclamation of the gospel that we say we believe? Nothing can. Nothing can excuse it. So my prayer, my hope for you and for myself is that this Christmas we will really remind ourselves of of all that it means. That we will look past all the lights and all the decorations as great and beautiful and wonderful as they are and that our attention will be focused on the sunrise from on high that has come, that is with us, Emmanuel, God with us and who will yet come again. Let that fill your heart with hope. Let that fill your mind with joy. Let that fill your life with light and go out and proclaim it to a very dark world. Let's pray. Are you here today and you have heard a lot about Jesus, not just today, but man, many days throughout your life. You've heard a lot about him. You know about the saying, Jesus is the reason for the season, you know, Christmas is about Christ, you've heard all those things, but you've not, you've not actually made that personal. You've not given yourself to that Savior. He's not your reason for this season. If that's you, I would love to pray for you that today would be the day where you see God's perfect timing that we talked about on full display in your life. Is there anyone that would say, yeah, that's me, Pastor. I'm, I'm not a believer. I'm not really part of Christ. He's not my Savior, but I want him to be. Is there anyone that would say, pray for me in that way? Anyone at all? Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? Okay. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to pray for you that your heart will be captured anew and afresh by the hope and the glory and the power of Christmas. You pray for me in that way too, okay? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for Zechariah's example. Thank you for what he teaches us through his song, his proclamation about your son, what it, what it reminds us of and what it shows us. And may we be filled, Father, with the same joy and same hope that he was. And may we proclaim that boldly, consistently to everyone that we come in contact with. Father, for this one who said, yeah, I know about Jesus and I've heard all the statements and the sayings, but I've never made it personal. I've never given my life to Jesus. I pray for that one individual, Father. I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would lead them to the salvation found in your Son. That right now, As I'm praying, they would be saying to you in their own words, in their own heart, I believe I need Jesus. I believe that I am a sinner. 
But I believe that he came and he took my sins on himself and he took them to the cross and he gives me forgiveness and eternal life that no one else can give. I want Jesus to be my savior. Please, Jesus, save me. Take my life. I pray, Father, that that would be what they are just completely expressing on their own to you right now. And that today, this moment, would be the day of their salvation. We pray for all that are in our families and that we know that are still outside of Christ and in the darkness of this world and right now under your judgment. We pray, Father, that this Christmas would be the time that all of that changes and that those who walk in darkness will see a great light. We commit all this to you in praise, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.